In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. We continue on this fifth Sunday of Easter to meditate upon and exalt in the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and to work out, in part, what his resurrection means, what the, resur- what the implications of the resurrection are for the world, for the church, and for us as members thereof. And I say in part because uh, we're not going to exhaust the meaning of the resurrection in one sermon. And more to the point, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God to use a Pauline phrase, that's Romans 11.33, they're inexhaustible. Its depth cannot be plumbed. But nevertheless, we hope that this morning and day by day and week by week, as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, that we will grow more and more in what in our understanding of who Jesus is and what the mystery of the gospel means for our lives. Now, we say in the Nicene Creed that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. There is this present age and there is the age to come the world to come. And that age began on that first Easter morning. It began when Jesus rose from the dead. So as Christians, we find ourselves with a foot in each age. We're living, as it were, in the overlap of the ages, this present age and the age to come. And growth as a Christian is learning how to be in this present age, but not of this present age. In this world, but not of this world. To be characterized by the life of the age to come. To learn what it means in practice to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. To have already, in a sense be raised and ascended with Christ in glory. Now, in today's second lesson, Revelation chapter 21, we get a glimpse of the final state. We get a glimpse of the consummation of Christ's work, of the age to come. We see the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which we can think of as the heavenly dimension of reality or the cosmos, we see the new Jerusalem, quote, like a bride adorned for her husband descending upon the earth. This is the marriage of heaven and earth. This is the completion of the project which began back in the Garden of Eden, which has as its goal the union of God and man. This is the Lord answering once for all and fully and finally that petition in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We see heaven and earth coming together. And amidst this dramatic scene, the Lord says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Therefore, we see in Revelation chapter 21, the accomplishment of what God began all the way back in Genesis 1, in which God made heaven and earth to be his temple, to be his home, to be his dwelling place. And God places into his creation, into his cosmic temple, his image bearers, a man and a woman who are charged with stewarding creation and are commissioned to take the borders of Eden and expand them to the ends of the earth, to make the earth full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Our mission as the church is the same. We are to expand the borders, as it were, of the new Garden of Eden in which Christ arose. We are to be agents of new creation whereby the kingdom of God comes on earth as in heaven. We are to, by the power of the Spirit, implement the rule and benevolent reign of Jesus Christ. And this enlarging of the kingdom, as it were, is what we see in Acts chapter 11, today's first lesson. So the person and work of Christ, Jesus being the faithful Israelite, Jesus uniting us to himself in his own body, results in the inclusion of the Gentiles, inclusion of all the nations of the world in God's family. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, Paul puts a fine point on this. Okay? He says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So Jesus then, even though he, he came from Abraham, he was a Jew and of the Jews, he's not only king of the Jews, but lord of the world. His rule is total and all-encompassing. Psalm 72, speaking of the Messiah, says, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river of the ends of the earth. So on account of Christ, and this is really uh, a big part of what the doctrine of the ascension means, which we're, what, 11 days away from the Feast of the Ascension is that Christ is Lord and King of all. The whole cosmos is God's. So in Acts 11, the expansion of the kingdom means not primarily, it's not primarily about land, but new members. The Gentiles can now enjoy full kingdom membership, not just as subjects of the king, but as sons and daughters. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. 
And so we are. So in Acts 11, when Peter is told to rise, kill, and eat, this is not primarily a reference to the fulfillment of Mosaic dietary laws. The point of the vision is not to let Peter know that pork is now on the menu, that he can go to Four Rivers and, and, and eat whatever. You have to look at the context of Peter invoking this vision. It's a reference to the salvation of the Gentiles who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and the waters of baptism. Again, look at Acts 11. Peter shares his vision with those in Jerusalem, not amidst a dispute over diet, but regarding the inclusion of the Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, in the family of God. That all can be saved in and through Christ. So, brothers and sisters, we, as Christ's mystical body, are to be agents of new creation. We are tasked with expanding the borders of the new Eden. That sounds important. The kingdom of God coming on earth as in heaven, just a little bit more. But how do we do it? How do we live the age to come, which Christ inaugurated, here and now? And there's two aspects of new creation that I'm going to talk about this morning. One is the transformation of the church and her members, that we're becoming new, that we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ our Lord. The other aspect is the transformation of the world through the church. John 13, today's gospel, shows us that part of the expansion of the kingdom of God, expanding the kingdom of God uh, within and without, involves cultivating the highest of the theological virtues, the highest of the virtues, which is love. So you may be f familiar with the cardinal virtues coming out of the classical tradition, justice, prudence, temperance, and fortitude. They're all, and, and those actually get taken up to, and I think you can even see this in the New Testament, they get taken up into the Christian tradition and perfected. But there's also what's known as the theological virtues, which are faith, hope, and love. And as we know, the greatest of these is love. Christ namely through his suffering and death, perfectly expresses the Father's love. And he wants his followers to express that very same love to each other, and then by extension to the world. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. What makes it new? I mean, we know the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving others is not new. So what makes it new? I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Well, think about the context. 
This is the night before Jesus was crucified. It's in the context of his suffering and his death that he commends his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. What makes it new is that the world had never seen an act of love like the one we see in the person of Jesus Christ through his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. And so that raises the bar, doesn't it? Love one another. Think about that. As I have loved you. So it goes way beyond just simply being nice. Being nice is not being loving. It's not the same thing. To love one another with a sacrificial love. To, yes, as much as we can, delight in one another, but that ebbs and flows with how relationships go. But to, but to will and to actively work for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what is the ultimate good? That you may know God and be united with him. That we would spur one another onto that. That we, we would love one another with each other's sanctification in view. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the life of the age to come that we get a glimpse of in texts like Revelation 21 is manifested and made present in and by the church when we love one another with the same sacrificial love with which Christ loved us. When we pray... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as, it, as in heaven. We are, of course, at one level, praying for, longing for, the consummation of the age to come. We're, we're praying, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. But we are also praying for the kingdom of God to come in our lives. That we would be in alignment, that the whole of us, our intellect, emotion, will, body, would be under the reign, the benevolent reign of King Jesus. That we would be transformed, that we would reflect in the way that we think and the way that we live the law of Christ, which is written on our hearts by the Spirit. And we are praying that in the world in which we find ourselves, in our, in our, not just in our own lives, but in our families, in our social circles, in our church, that the kingdom of God would come. So let us not forget that the coming of the kingdom is also a present reality. That through the church and by the Spirit, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ is being implemented, and the borders of the new Eden are enlarging. 
but like the Apostle Peter, to say the very least, we live in challenging times to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you say, and we're not going to have like a debate right here in the middle of the sermon, this is rhetorical, would you say that we live in a culture that is receptive to and um, congenial towards the gospel of Jesus Christ? Put it another way, do you think that the culture in which we live is inculcating and encouraging values that are consonant with the reign of Jesus? It's almost an insulting question, right? So there are many obstacles, but it's always been this way. It's always going to be that way. It's always going to be this way on this side of Revelation chapter 21. There is no golden age of the church where everything was easy. Where there were no obstacles. There, there was no golden age of history where life was easy and wonderful and perfect. There's always obstacles, but... As I said last week, we're, we're a part of the same church that Peter is a part of. We have the same spirit that he has. Thus, if we're willing, we can become new creations in practice. Not just in name, but in practice. We can become in practice Bonafide citizens, as it were, of the age to come. We, and we can be also agents of new creation. God can use us. We can be catalysts for transformation. We can be those who expand the borders of the new Eden in which Christ arose so that he may be known. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen.